Welcome to Welcome the Gun Show. I am joined by Garrett. Hey, everybody. And Eric. What's up, rat bastards? I'm trying ginger neutral introductions. That's a that's a cool one. I like that one. We should keep it. I don't know. I've got a, I've got a series. Thanks. Oh, to we're going to do. I think it was who sent it to them. We're going to do new ones every time. Oh, I, I did like, see that. That was we cool. To do like ten more shows. Fuck. Awesome. <laughs> so tonight we're talking to Max Russell of uh, Rosley. Is that how you say it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, pick one. <laughs> Rossley, probably. It's the most gender neutral one. Um, cool, we'll, we'll go we'll with go that. We'll, we'll keep it. <laughs> of Motivas. So we're very happy to welcome Max to the show. Max um, is an attorney during the day, but we don't hold it against him. Uh, he is a hunter, rifle shooter, pistol shooter, gun nut, and as Corn mentioned, he owns Motivus, which is a, a specialist firearm motivation business thing, entity <laughs> thing, what does firearm motivations very goodly um, for gun people. Longer than a momentary freeze there. Uh, so Max is also married to Annika. So hello, wife. <laughs> Where's wife? Wife is... Upstairs watching a Julia Roberts movie. <laughs> oh, she she knew to avoid this uh, this train wreck. Yeah, no, um, she 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 was like, enjoy it. <laughs> she knew it was going to be bad. She <laughs> no, I I think she's just so hot full of like uh, live stuff and Zoom calls and uh, yeah, it's just been a hell of a long year with this kind of you know laptop lifestyle meetings with internationals at like inopportune times of the morning. Ah. Uh. I'm, I'm used to those. Those suck. Yeah, those suck. So, Zbag, uh, are you are you there? Have we lost you? Yeah. <laughs> no, I've just turned off my video to try and see if you can hear me. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you perfectly oh, now. You, fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. One, two, three. Fuck you. <laughs> Sorry, what, T? Uh, fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, I got it that time. Thanks. <laughs> 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 The disaster pieces. Yeah. I'm going to try and see if we have better connectivity with my uh, videos turned off. So you'll just have to do without my smiling face. <laughs> cool Is stuff. it a fiber issue? Uh, it, my rain works perfectly until we record a show and then it fucks out. But it works better, better than the fiber I used to have. Uh, yeah. True. So Max, tell us about uh, where shooting started for you. you know, why firearms? Why, why the interest? Why the passion? Yeah, so um, I think if I look back at the heritage, uh, I'd start there probably. My my dad's a, a South African German, and uh, my mom's a a Buritani, and uh, you know they sort of both come from rich cultures of hunting background. Uh, my dad, my grandfather was a, a bio a Bavarian, and. Uh, they had a you know a rich family tradition of hunting on my dad's side, and then my grandfather uh, was also um, on my on my mother's side was really involved in nature conservation. Uh, he was uh, uh, heavily involved in the Kruger Park um, in the northern camps. Um, yeah, he was you know it's it's just a, a very deep background in hunting, and uh, yeah, I, I was never really exposed to. Sport shooting, if I can put it that way, that my, that was never my dad's thing. It was always sort of a, a here's a hunting rifle. Uh, you need to be able to, you know, hit a target at so far uh, and let's go and shoot a buck. And, you know, this is where you shoot the buck. And, you know, this is how we 
you know, harvest meat. And that was the, that was the, the start of it. Um, I think started with a daisy when I was about five years old, uh, on a, on an apple that my dad put on a wicket in the garden. And that was my big treat on Saturdays. Um, you know, when my, my dad wasn't at work, um, we'd spend quite a bit of time just, you know, shooting at an apple. <laughs> and, uh, from there, um, I think I was eight years old. Uh, I got my first air rifle. It was a Gamo model 610. Um, I still have it. <laughs> and, uh, I had a spot on the shed door. We had one of those Wendy house wooden sheds outside and I fucked that up completely. Like I shot this, I put my targets on the same spot because I liked how it made holes in the, in the wood. And, uh, I just kept hammering the target and <laughs> you yeah, shot through the whole thing. Yeah. Shot through the shed and I started hitting the lawnmower motor behind it. And yeah, it wasn't, uh, a positive outcome. Um, you weren't popular, but yeah, no, not at all. And then, um, that was, yeah, I think it, I think it all started with sort of a passion from my father's side as an engineer for mechanical stuff. Uh, he appreciates guns more for the mechanics behind them. And, uh, that's, I think where my sort of my anal approach to, uh, uh, lubrication while well, anal and lubrication <laughs> in one sentence. Um, <laughs> that's the show title. Just the right time then. <laughs> Uh, you know, sort of a, a, a serious mechanical adoration from my dad's side um, on bolted action rifles specifically. My dad had one of the first, I, I think you guys would know better than I do. Um, my dad had a Glock 21 um, when I was about eight years old. So that was 98. Um, and it was, a, you know, a Glock 2145 ACP. But what gen was that? I, I've always been interested to know. What, uh, 98? Yeah, ninety eight. It was he bought uh, it, it brand new back two. then. Would have been Gen, Gen two. two. So it would have had no finger grooves and no light rail. That's right, yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's always interesting. I you know, I just remember it as a child. He, he didn't um it was one of those guns that became part of the the amnesty in two thousand and four, I think it was. Oh, two thousand. Yeah. Damn. And uh but yeah, my, my dad, uh, sort of, it was the same, my daisy and the pellet gun and stuff as a, as a child, after we shot, it was sort of a strict regiment of, you know, let's, let's clean the gun up. Let's put some oil on it. Let's store it. And, uh, you know, it, it was just a, a disciplined thing. My, my dad uh, looked at or, or indoctrined me into sort of a strict discipline of, of maintenance of the firearm because it's a tool. And uh, he's like that in his workshop, and I'm too now. You know, I suppose it's just a generation thing. Um, I grew up with the, the tools being put back in their place and being cleaned and oiled, and you know, that's I think that's the background behind that. And yeah, then um, from there, um, the hunting intensified. Uh, obviously, as a as a, a young traditional hunter, you start off by learning to to skin everybody else's animals and gut them and do all the dirty work while they drink brandy afterwards. But, you know, you, you sort of get abused for the first seven, eight years of your, your hunting life as a young Afrikaans boy. And then, uh, eventually you get your gap, um, you know, to, to shoot your first animal. And, uh, yeah, that was over my dad's, over my dad's knee at a, an Impala when I was about, I think 10 or 11 years old. And, uh, it was just from there, uh, it absolutely fascinated me. The whole culture of hunting, um, you know, the, the gear behind it, the preparation, um, 
and and the time spent, you know, with people and the values that, or, or you you really in the hunting field get a, a very good indication of what kind of person you're with, um, you know, and and what kind of person that person is. Their their respect, their value for the animals that are hunted, uh, their respect or their respect for the time spent together um, around the fire. Um, I was very privileged uh, to spend quality time with uh, people that I'm still friends with today. And, you know, I felt that that, that had a, a, a huge influence on uh, my, you know, my adoration of the hunting. The, I, I always see it as a, a privilege. Every animal that's taken in, on a hunt is a privilege, but the time that you get to spend with your, your close friends and family and the, the experiences shared in the felt are indescribable. And I can remember every single animal um, taken, you know, so for me that, that started the, the, the passion, um, you know, the excitement of watching my dad start a stalk and, you know, having to stay behind, but hearing the shot go off, you know, and that anticipation of sure, you know, I, I wonder how it went. Um, I hope, you know, I hope the shot was placed well. Um, I hope the recovery is swift and, you know, yeah, uh, you sort of learn, learn about the culture and the ethics behind, uh, owning, the shot that you take, um, and trying to obviously, uh, keep that shot confined to a single shot in the felt, but also finishing what you started. And I think that's a, that's an incredibly valuable, uh, thing to take uh, from hunting is that if you're going to pull the trigger the first time, you're damn well follow the animal till you recover what you shot at. And, uh, I was lucky to be indoctrined in a, in a family which observes, uh, uh, you know, hard work, um, if if a follow up does need to be taken, or if tracking does have to take place, and then yeah, from there uh, it just it just grew into an adoration for guns. Um, I've I've always been fascinated by that. You know, historic. You know, his history has always been uh, a very big part of my life. Uh, interest in you know military military history, um, and you know obviously that boiled over into researching about the guns that I found interesting. Uh, when Band of Brothers came out, that fascinated me because that was where the first time that I sort of, uh, it was ultra violent. And I think I was about 12 years old. So, you know, I shouldn't have been, <laughs> but I, I just found it fascinating. And, uh, yeah, then from there, um, I, I remember, um, sort of just finding interest in the different actions of firearms. Why were the Germans using bolt actions when, um, the Yanks were already on the M1 Garand, you know, with a, with a, a semi-automatic, you know, uh, platform, which I, you know, I found fascinating. And yeah, ugh, just, yeah, the adoration of guns is not difficult to inspire in people. Um, I think we, you don't even have to be indoctrined in a home. A lot of guys start much later in their lives, uh, finding firearms fascinating and, you know, sport shooting or defensive carry, um, whatever ignites that. Uh, a lot of people are, you know, uh, I find that in the practice, a lot of people literally identify the deteriorating situation of our safety and security in South Africa. And um, they they note that they're their own first responder and that um, the alternatives available to them being even private security, um, our police service, uh, the, the constrained, you know, the, the constrained um what's the correct word? You know, they, they're immensely strained resources and it's effect on their, you know, ability to be able to react within time. Um, and even if, uh, I, I think I set it out, um, in a, in a recent motivation for Tarek, um, it was an interesting, an interesting thought process and it was something new that came to me, but 
I started emphasizing that even with private security uh, within a, an estate security or a security estate, sorry, um, that delay uh, between the panic signal and private security arriving, if the, an attack has commenced, um, every, every second that goes past uh, is a second that that trigger can be squeezed or that the knife can be slipped between your ribs, you know, by the, by the attacker. So it's, it's, always a, it's always a consideration of if, if I'm not armed, um, how can I expect other people to, to react? All that they're going to react to is the blood in the corridor and the mess in the house, you know. So it's a, it's a very difficult it's a very difficult consideration, but a lot of people realize that and they realize that there are no alternatives which suitably um, satisfy their need to defend themselves. And uh, yeah, I, I think my, my career, my profession, um, the academics behind criminal law, uh, private defense, uh, necessity, uh, you know, all, all the, I, I found that extremely fascinating on, from an academic perspective. Um, and I think that inspired me to to get involved in the firearm owning community because I, I I'm a I'm a law abiding citizen I'm a, I'm somebody that takes uh, firearm ownership very seriously and uh, I I want to help people that share that passion um, to to acquire them you know and and to acquire them without arbitrary specious refusal reasons and. Uh, you know, I, I try to preemptively address the spacious re refusal reasons um, as a means of uh, uh, enhancing the prospects of success of each application. And I take my gun ownership very seriously. Um, I sit like a, a, a child every day and have a look at where my apps are and how many days they're on and when does my card come. And, you know, I, I'm just another gun owner, but I just really try to help where I can and I I feel that the firearm, firearm ownership has given so much to me. Um, it's enabled me to meet a, a community that is extremely um, tuned in on helping others, uh, on introducing them to the sports, uh, introducing them to ethical, considerate hunting, um, and you know, introducing them to uh, aspects of defence. Um, you know, because when we all start out, um, we we hear the campfire stories and the bar, you know, the bar stories from Oaks that, you know, uh, would suggest that this is the, this is the, the gun to carry. This is why you should carry it. This is where you should carry it. Ankle holsters, underarm holsters, you know, all that crap. And, uh, you know, we, we get to a point where, uh, the influences, we need to take information from credible sources. Um, and yeah, uh, I think it's, it's fair to say that, uh, I've done a bit of training with Tarek. Uh, my my fundamentals, that kind of thing, and you know, each 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 person in the gun owning community, um, Cornet, you you sort of, uh, I think you kind of started out IPC when I did. Uh, you just took to it like a duck to water. Yeah, um, I was shooting IDPA before that. Uh, yes, but my that's right. Very yeah. very first IPSC match was your first IPSC match. Yeah, but you could at least move. Remember, I stood there static in front of the target like it was going to fucking beat me with a hammer. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, and then, I had some sport shooting, just not IPSEC at that point. So, Max, you need to move. Huh? <laughs> 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 fucking lumpy little body moving across the range of the 1911. And, I uh, probably still have videos of that day. They were, please don't they ever were, fucking share those. Yeah, it's horrible. They were funny for both of us. With yeah, no. Nah. No, so, and, but, and but now to, to interrupt no. you, sorry, T-Bag, go ahead. 
I was just going to say they should be up on the Welcome to the Gun Show Facebook page. But they, they should. <laughs> Please, no. I want to interrupt you here yes. with, you were no, waddling please. around with a 1911. Do you want to tell the good folks what that 1911 was, yeah, if you I, remember? It's a union switch and signal. Uh, that, was, that was bastardized. Yeah. <laughs> the fuck? Whose gun is that? You had a USAS and... <laughs> I yeah, don't so think it you, was a... You did that to it. I think you got it like that. I got it like that. Yeah, it had uh, Pathmire grips on it. Uh, it had an aftermarket trigger in it. It had raised sights. And I, when, I, when, I, when I bought the gun, um, actually it was given to me. I need to say that in all fairness. Um, when, when I got the gun, you know, I asked, don't, don't you perhaps have the original, you know, the medallion grips and the, you know, the, the low sights, you know, the, the low square sights for the gun? And, uh, you know, he, he said, no, fuck that. He threw that away ages ago. And, you know, that, that I mean, I think there were only 50,000 units manufactured of the Union Switching Signals. Um, they, they took over under license from Singer, um, who was producing them at that, you know, during the war effort. Well, um, it was, there was a whole lot of companies that produced them under license. Um, Union Switching Signal uh, was, was one of the, the, the lower numbers. So, you know, the Colt Remington Ithaca, built lots um, and then there were a couple of other companies that, that built a lot fewer um, yeah I, my my um, fascination with that gun was tainted by the bastardization of it after you know after doing a bit of research and stuff because he completely fucking ruined the gun um, and I carried it for three years <laughs> so you know it was just like I grew up with my dad influencing me unfortunately to you know, the whole 45 ACP, America, bigger holes, uh, that, that he came from a generation where that was a, a heavy influence, you know. And uh, then I, yeah, I just, I, what's that? That's the manual XTP I found in my pocket. <laughs> if you want yeah. bigger holes, let me tell you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. No, but... There was, there was really this sort of, you know, I, I grew up with 45 ACPs the way to go. Um, I think all the men in my family carry 45 still. So, um, you know, it was just an influence thing. I think it was a generational issue. Um, but, you know, then I, I went from that to maybe even more uncomfortable to carry was the PO7. And, uh, yes, it's what a horrible gun. Yeah, all the pokey bits. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the yeah, fuck. Those. You know, they they like. I know that there's many people that do carry them for defensive purposes, but yes, if you bolt like me, you get into the car and it just it shanks you as if you stole food in a prison, and then you like the rough grips against my belly, like the soft parts here on the side um, against my love handle. Like I, it just it was callous and a horrible uncomfortable, gross gun. I didn't enjoy it. And then, yeah, then from there, I, I always, I was a Glock hater, of course, because I carried a CZ. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was also quite uh, uh, brand biased at that stage, but what the fuck did I know? And, um, you know, then after thousands of considerations of what's practically going to work for me and, you know, what can I maintain? What can I afford to maintain? Uh, what's going to work with my office wear because that was another giant issue, the CZ. So, yeah, <coughs> there was quite a bit of growth from when I initially sort of 
started out in the firearm owning community. I've always loved guns. I just love shit guns. That was the problem at first. And <laughs> then, <laughs> then, you know, influence, not, not only, I think social media played a big role. Um, I think when I was in my first year of articles, just before that, um, I, I discovered Gunsight on Facebook and I was like, uh, 45 ACP, uh, CZ, um, all of the stuff that makes you cringe today, like that, that was my thing. And, uh, I think the school of thought or, or the larger school of thought and exposure to actual credible sources started to influence, you know, decision-making around firearms. Um, I only started taking interest in ballistics long after university, which is interesting because I've, I've been a hunter my entire life. Um, just also again influence you know if you want to shoot flat you need a 270 if you want to shoot in the bush you need a 306 or a 308 you know those were sort of the influences that i had but i mean that's i think that's a problem in south africa is that um people that don't listen or don't take that info in um are influenced by people that were at a, a generational stage where influence was fine it worked for them practically but there are always better things out there and there's always growth within your firearm ownership and there are better, you know, there are better options to everything from your hunting rifle to your shotgun to your handgun. And uh, yeah, I think, I think practically that's something that I learned through sport shooting and my introduction to the practical side of sport shooting. And uh, yeah, I, I mean that it, it's exactly that just exposure to the firearm and community and, I think I think we're privileged to have a community that that that's that interested. I I think if I see the amount of support for new gun owners that's available today, um, you know, at the joining of a group or at the the at the you know the just listening to a podcast or uh, watching stuff on YouTube, although that's also not always the best idea. But um, yeah, I think I think we're quite a privileged community in that there's a lot of interest and there's a lot of concern for the well-being, the safety of people that are going to carry handguns for, you know, for defensive purposes um, and, you know, go get training. That's that's the biggest thing that I've learned is that you can have all the guns in the world, but that doesn't mean you know how to use them. And that was a huge learning curve with the handgun thing for me. Which you've worked on, I'm going to say religiously, I don't know if that's the, the right term, but you have improved your skill dramatically in a really short period of time. So well, um, I had to because it wasn't hard though. It was fucking shocking. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like kind of like clapping for the monkey. They're like, I, I really, I, I. <laughs> it was pretty bad. And uh, yeah, but I, I, you know, I think I think as well where where that's highlighted is on the sporting field. And I, you know, I would encourage anybody that you know it isn't exposed to a community of firearm ownership. Um, or that that wants to improve their proficiency to to go and just see what fast people do, you know, and what you know that the people that can shoot fast and accurately, um, what do they do, you know, and how do they do it? And uh, in order to attain that level of skill um, in movement, in you know, it's like watching you guys in a match versus watching myself in a match, and then you know, uh, watching uh, Albert's movement classes, and you know, just. There's so much to it uh, and it's so intense. And I don't think everybody realizes that. I think they, you know, they get their handgun and they think, right, you know, I can now defend myself with this handgun. In fact, I think you, 
I don't want to say a liability, but I think that you're at risk if you don't go and get training. I think that you're at risk if you don't condition your mind with the right influences. Um, yeah, I think I think that for me is a it it always irks me. Um, you know, like I look at my wife, like she was lucky. She she didn't go through with her gun ownership. She didn't go through a phase of the denial and I know everything and that sort of thing. She was lucky because I had already learned the the expensive lessons in as far as we're going straight to fundamentals with your new gun. Bring your new gun. Let's go and you know just get tighten it up, get some confidence with it, get get some training, sharpen skills, and uh, you know that that for me was an absolute privilege to to be able to to watch her take interest and to grow into you know firearm ownership, lawful firearm ownership, and make a decision that she she wants to be able to defend herself. And uh, yeah, she she went as well to one of Terek's uh, fundamental classes, which you know, um, has increased her proficiency dramatically because she's also one of those people that work at it and doesn't know everything, you know, and doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, act like she knows everything. And, you know, we've, we've actually, um, from my handgun shooting, I always didn't want to teach her the bad habits that I've developed and I wanted her to grow independently. And I still encourage that, you know, and, uh, I think, I think that's important within friendships and within relationships. And uh, yeah, that's it's it's just been a hell of a ride to where we are now, and how much we love guns and can talk about them and stainless steel slides on Glocks, and you know we. <laughs> so so what you're saying is that don't teach your own wife how to shoot. Yeah. Send them to Tarek. Send them to Tarek and send them to send them to somebody that gives a fuck. Um, you know, a lot oh, of people think. <laughs> Contradictions. <laughs> I think. I think. I think his. I think his gun sight persona versus his persona on a shooting range and at a class is <laughs> do do separate things, you know. And and I think that a lot of the time um, we misconstrue constructive criticism. But I, I think that's again, um, it's a it's a how can I say it? It's um. I don't know if it's an ego thing, but I think that people are, they find it extremely difficult to accept the fact that this is a realm that a lot of people have dedicated their lives to every day. That is their job. That is their consideration. That is what they do versus um, you that statically stands at an indoor shooting range and shoots at a piece of paper, you know, and says, right, I'm ready to, you know, defend myself. Look, practically, I suppose, if you're lucky, yes. <laughs> you know, it'll work out for you. But um, yeah, there's just so much to it. And, and it's actually unnerving um, when you consider how little training you've had and how much there is out there and how many skills you need to develop um, to actually be competently able to, to defend yourself and proficiency uh, to be able to clear a malfunction when you need to defend yourself. And, uh, you know, things break and you get shot and, you know, there's all sorts of shit happening. So I suppose... Um, yes, I, I think go get training. It doesn't matter who you are. I think you shouldn't, you shouldn't smear your bad habits on other people unless it's a, a fundamental that you've, you've absorbed from somebody else. Um, and don't try and teach it in your own way, teach it in the same way. And the considerations that, that have been imparted to you, you're probably going to forget 95% of the important shit that was imparted to you anyway. So just take them to training with you, you know, and go and stand on the other side of the range and don't get up in their grill. Let so, them shoot. So coincidentally, and, I find this, um, yeah, I find this quite funny 
Um, if people went to training when they got their firearms with a competent instructor, that's that's the provision here. It is it takes less time to become proficient, and you will be more proficient for the simple reason that the instructor doesn't have to undo months or years worth of bad habits that you've ingrained. That's exactly what um, happened with me. Exactly, exactly, yep. exactly. That's perfectly put. That's exact. Ask no. Eric. Um, I went and did a dartboard. <laughs> Holy fucking nutsack. It was shocking. Like I, you know, because you, I had a certain accuracy standard with a handgun, if you could call it that. And it was like, Mirko hit the A4 page at seven meters, you know, and hit it a few times. Just make sure that fucking thing is full of holes, you know. And then, you know, your considerations under duress, uh, even even just attending a class, um, which I found quite interesting, um, but it's completely out of your comfort zone. And I mean, it's not even you know, it's it's a it's a it's a safe, secure environment. And uh, you, sure, I, it was an eye opener for me because I could see. Uh, the groupings that guys were getting with handguns at say 10 meters, um, you know, where I'm shooting a, a, a dinner plate, they're busy shooting a, you know, a five rand coin. And, um, you know, it, it was a little bit of an embarrassing uh, situation, but I, I took a lot from it. And uh, I, I decided that the, the next crusade in my firearm ownership and my, you know, my skills development would be on handgun. You know, I've always been a long, right, you know, a long gun kind of guy with a, with a, uh, uh, long range shooting and, you know, with, with, uh, rifles and with, you know, I've, I've always, I admired, uh, uh, you know, clay pigeon shooting as a, a, a fantastic sport, but the handgun thing, I always thought, you know what, that's probably good enough. And I think everyone in their gun ownership stage has gone through that, you know, that stage of, you know what, that's probably all right. You know, and I think if the earlier that you're exposed to people that do actually have uh, uh, developed proficiency and developed skills, um, the faster you're going to grow as a firearm owner, a sports shooter, and as a defensive carrier. I don't know if you guys would agree with that. Yeah, I, th I think sort of related to a couple of the things you've said now, um, one is if, if you spend some time learning how to shoot a pistol, it'll make you shoot rifles better uh, because pistols require better fundamentals than rifles. You can mask some pretty shitty fundamentals by shooting a rifle, um, and if you can if if you can apply sort of pistol levels of trigger control and that to your rifle shooting, you'll shoot rifles better. Uh, another thing, training, training's a funny thing because I think a lot of you know that, and it's not just the South African thing, but it's a particularly South African thing that. I don't need to learn how to shoot a pistol because I'm a South African man. So I can drive a Bucky Briar steak, make sweet love to a woman and shoot a pistol. Uh, <laughs> you know. um, Again. And, and generally they suck it all four. Um, <laughs> so I'm told. I uh, disagree. <laughs> what can you Briar Bucky? Um, yeah. <laughs> but but th there's, there's often a, a massive issue with 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 the ego in 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 getting over the fact that they need to learn something new, and fortuitous outcomes reinforce bad tactics. Uh, you know, my my buddy who's as shitty a shot as I am got in a gunfight and fired nineteen rounds, and and one of his rounds hit the bad guy in the knee, and 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 that stopped him. Uh, and all of a sudden, I don't need to be able to shoot any better because as long as I can do what my buddy did, I'm fine. 
what's what's funny to me, and I think what I think is sometimes lost on people is that the two rec- the two instructors I recommend in, in in South Africa the most after me, obviously, are Adrian Rosley and Albert Vessels in no particular order. Um, and the funny thing a lot of people don't realize is if there is an opportunity to do a training course with an instructor, Adrian Rosley and Albert Vessels are generally at the front of the queue. Um, they're both very high-end shooters. They're both experienced shooters. They're both experienced instructors. Slightly different fields, but they're both masters of their craft. Um, and if you turn around to either of them and say, so-and-so is running a course, do you want to do it? It's very rare that they won't be interested. They can't always make everyone because, unfortunately, reality gets in the way. Um, and I think that's one of those funny things that you've you've got – You've got someone like Albert, who is a a multiple national team member. You've got someone like like Adrian, who has a a storied and deep tactical history. Um, and both of them will take every opportunity they can to learn a new skill. And then you've got fucking Chris Fundameva and Lovu Fox and whatever area he comes from, whatever his surname is, who can barely take his pistol out of the holster without uh, putting a shot in his dog, um, but you can't tell him anything. Uh, so it's a challenge. You know, as, as, as a pro-gun person, we understand that a lot of little old ladies without a clue stop bad guys. Um, and I don't want that little old lady without a clue to lose her ability to own a gun because she can't deal with, with every eventuality. Um, but for myself and, and hopefully for the listeners of this show, they appreciate that, there are that percentage of shootings where just owning a gun is not going to help you. Just firing a shot is not going to help you. Uh, and for that, the, no one has ever finished a gunfight and gone, fuck, I wish I had a smaller gun with less bullets in it. And no one's <laughs> ever finished a, a gunfight and gone, fuck, I wish I was a worse shot. Uh, yeah. So I, I think it's an important thing to bear in mind. Well, yeah, I think I think one of the things that you you conveyed, and I think you conveyed it sweetly, was the accuracy standard. And I think that with handgun shooting, um, it's a fundamental flaw in the mind of I would say, and and you can you can interject if you if you disagree, but I would say the majority um, of handgun owners who aren't uh, or haven't who haven't embraced the concept of uh, proficiency development, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. just just being able to uh, uh, place five rounds consecutively within, say. Uh, a tennis ball size at seven meters. Um, it sounds doable, you know, but now do that from the holster under, under the duress of the beep, um, you know, of a, of a timer and then watch how that opens up. Uh, it's comfortable to get yourself comfy and, you know, to bend your knees and to implement all the fundamentals and get your position right. And, you know, that's fine. Um, but now do that at speed and do that after having cleared a malfunction uh, even if malfunctions round number two or three, um, it starts to change your perception. Um, especially when we started with the, uh, you know, the malfunction clearance. Uh, you see your as you know as a as a, a very young shooter, if I could put it that way, or a, a new shooter to handguns. I've owned them for a long time. I've carried them for a long time. But in as far as somebody that's now committed to developing that skill. Um, it's actually quite horrifying what happens after you've cleared a, you know, cleared a malfunction and you try to engage the target again. Um, your fundamentals sort of get thrown, and that's why that that conditioning 
and the, the, the maintenance of accuracy standards and uh, recuperating the fundamentals after having interrupted them, um, I think has been an, one of the biggest eye openers for me as a defensive carrier. Um, and actually, you know, sort of thanks, Tarek, you, you created a couple of sleepless nights and fucking nightmares because you just um, get this cold feeling of, well, fuck, that, that wasn't good enough, you know, and the it's work not here good enough. Started. Yeah, well, you, you, it's not good enough. You, you, you're not good enough. I don't think you're ever good enough for the fight of your life, you know, and I think that every range session um, should be dedicated to developing skill um, and, and to enhancing skill. Uh, I think that that might be sort of the, the the academic in me or the the I don't want to say perfectionist, but for me it's the thing of if if I'm not using my time on the range constructively um, and actually developing you know either my sporting skills or my defensive skills, um, I'm wasting ammunition. I'm throwing money down the drain, and uh, I'm putting I would say I'm enhancing the risk. Um, that I face every time I put the gun in my, you know, waistband and I, I go to work or, you know, I go out um, or I'm at home. Um, I, I think I'm, I don't know if I'm conveying what I'm trying to convey effectively. Yeah. I think you're making good sense. And I think one of the things that, that sometimes gets lost on people is that to use Gaz as an example, someone like Gaz is never going to the range and making noise. Um, Gaz is going to the range with a plan um, and, and, and Gaz is shooting, I'm not going to exaggerate when I say that Gaz probably shoots in a week more than most pistol owners will shoot in a lifetime. Um, and that's partially because he shoots a fair amount and partially because a lot of pistol owners don't, don't shoot very much. But someone at, at his level is never going to the range and just fucking around and shooting rocks um, and then going, oh, I'm ready for this. He's, he's working on a particular skill set. He's working on improving a skill set. Uh, and he's, he's, and I think that's what's lost in people. I was, I was having a chat with a mate of mine who's an instructor in the US, um, who I have great respect for. Um, and, and one of the things that came up, funnily enough, in, in, in a discussion with us was how one man's um, fuck, I can't shoot this gun to save my life is another man's public shooting range sniper. Uh, and yeah. I think that that kind of ties in with what you were saying is that a shooting standard that a lot of guys are going to look at and go, oh, you know, it's the, oh, I, you know, oh, fuck, that's, oh, that's so challenging. I couldn't do that. Um, is generally not, not super difficult. And, and, and if you've made a huge amount, you know, if you've made an effort, that can, can be something where you look at this and go, fuck, is that good enough? Uh, yeah, uh, that you know, and I think that for me was a growing point um, in my in my shooting you know in my shooting career, if I could put it that way. Um, I started I started going to the range more regularly with my carry gun, uh, you know, in as far as it's it's always with me, but I actually started spending some quality time with a gun and actually um, addressing my my core fundamentals first on accuracy. Um, I had to take it down from that dinner plate to at least uh, a tennis ball at seven meters consistently over the spread of the magazine. And at first it was fuck slow. And that was, that was for me very concerning because, um, you know, I, I can also dump a, dump a magazine into, you know, into the A4 target at seven or eight meters. And, uh, you know, some of them are together and some of them are top right. Or, you know, so I, it, it took me quite a while to get, um, that muscle memory ingrained into me of, right, 
just repeat that and make sure that the shots go at, you know, go to the same place. And, uh, it's funny though, I'm quite surprised that the concept was so remote or or distant for me as a precision rifleman. You know, I've, I've always, you know, for me, the, the mechanics behind the gun and the, the ballistics and, you know, the, the precision of the reloading, I'll spend, you know, two hours uh, preparing cases, but I won't spend two hours on a range, uh, making sure that I can shoot a group with my handgun, you know, and yeah, it's, it's a thing of, I understand that, um, accuracy with the handgun in it's relative, you know, we, we drawing and shooting fast, um, should be as accurate as standing comfortably and taking your time on the, you know, taking your time on the shots. Um, but it, it isn't. And realistically, it takes a lot of work, I think, to get to that, to that stage where I can comfortably say that I will put uh, a 10 round Glock 48 mag in a tennis ball at seven meters from the holster and, you know, sort of uh, a certain cadence of fire. And um, it sounds, a tennis ball, I know sounds ridiculous. I, I use that terminology, but, um, you know, I, I, I challenge a couple of the listeners to actually the next time they're on the range, um, take a couple of mags and, uh, you know, with a timer, draw and, you know, f- see how long it takes them to, to dispense the mag and to have a look where those rounds are going, you know, relative to the point of aim, the actual intended point of aim. And, um, yeah, I think, I think we also get indoctrined into this thought process of, well, I just got to hit him, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the attack uh, is basically this giant silhouette that we believe is going to stand still like the target, um, which it isn't, and we should be aiming for focal points, um, just as we do with any any form of incapacitation activity. So, yeah, it's it's a hell of a mind shift, and uh, it was a little bit of a unnerving mind shift when it first dawned on me that oh, you know, I've been carrying a gun for you know, say six years, five years, and um, I'm I don't really know how to use it, you know, and I. I, I'm, I'm derpy when it comes to clearing a malfunction, you know, and uh, that double feed drill where you just put the empty cases in the mag um, or, you know, where you force a double feed uh, or, you know, a, a feeding malfunction. Yes, it's terrifying. Eh? You, you think to yourself how long it takes you without practicing it. Um, I, I don't think a lot of handgun owners even know how to clear the drill efficiently, you know, they or, or to do, you know, to clear that that type of malfunction efficiently, uh, it's scary so, because it could happen. It happens on the range all the time. Couple of things on that, Max. Um, I think when we interviewed James Smart, I think it was James. It may have been Jacques, but I'm pretty sure it was James. Uh, he was talking about hand-to-hand stuff, uh, not not firearms. But he said that uh, if you're learning, let's say jujitsu, in order to jujitsu bad guys on the street, and a year goes by and you've not jujitsued anyone, you're going to get bored of it. So the way to continue improving and to keep yourself motivated and interested is by either teaching or competing. Now, for most people, I'm going to recommend competing and not teaching because teaching is a skill, not something that everyone can do effectively. But competition does a lot of the stuff that you're talking about. Um, Competition doesn't really have, or at least the competitions that we do, doesn't really have a a concept of good enough. Um, You can always do it faster and you can always do it more accurately. You can't always do both those things combined, but you can always do it faster and you can always do it more accurately. 
Uh, so there's always something to drive forward on and something to work on in terms of skill. Uh, it's also testing a lot of the the fine sort of gun handling skills, things like malfunction clearance, things like draws, things like reloads that most people either work in very limited sort of time slots, if at all. In competition, you're not going to practice malfunctions, but boy, the first time it happens, are you going to learn that that's an important skill and you need to, you need to yeah. get it down. The first time you fumble a reload, you're going to realize that this is an important skill and you get it down. Um, and I think when you, when you said that guys are taking precision rifles and they're trying to shoot one whole groups at whatever distance they're shooting at, but they won't do the same thing with their pistols. Um, and I might be wrong here, T can jump in, but I suspect it's got something to do with the rate of fire that you're capable of with a pistol compared to a precision bolt gun. A precision bolt gun effectively forces you to not just make noise. And the mechanics uh, behind the slide as well. Um, and that that's a very big thing for me is the, the actual mechanics that are moving in your hand. It's not like a bolt gun that, you know, the, the it's a closed system. Um, the, there's this, this constant, uh, I find it very overwhelming still today to try and grasp that I can just keep focusing on the front, you know, the front sight and it'll return there if I'm, if my fundamentals are right, you know, if I'm gripping the gun properly. Um, and that took me quite a while because I'm like, what the fuck? The slide is moving. How, you know, obviously the recoil must be lifting the gun, you know, or, or pushing it back. And I think that's a bad habit that you develop um, as a, as a, a novice handgun shooter is not following through, not observing uh, your, your, you know, retaining a sight picture, not taking the top of your, your front sight seriously. You know, it's just this big square thing. How can that be accurate? Uh, you know, you even you, look at it. If you even look at it, <laughs> you don't. Yeah, we've sites. all been there. <laughs> a lot of that is access to information issues. And again, T and Gaz will need to jump in here. Um, but I think a lot of that stuff isn't being done, not necessarily because people don't want to do it. It's because they don't know to do it. So if you're shooting poorly and I just scream at you front sight, front sight, front sight, and I give you nothing other than front sight, front sight, front sight, you're not going to learn anything. Um, unless you get lucky and you improvise something that happens to work. Um, there's a lot of that stuff that isn't, isn't the information just isn't being conveyed in a, in a, in a manner where people can receive it and understand it. T-Bag? I think, I, th I think that's, I think that is part of the problem. I think there are unfortunately a lot of instructors out there who are trying to teach you to pass a, a, a test as opposed to trying to teach you how to use, do a skill. Um, I think there's some, there are unfortunately some instructors out there who don't know what they try, or they don't understand what they're trying to teach you, so they just parrot what their instructors taught. But I'll be honest, I think the biggest issue um, is, is one of human nature. Uh, yeah. Shooting a pistol accurately and, and shooting a pistol well is difficult. So rather than going, this is a difficult skill, let me improve my skill, what will often happen is we'll guys will shoot faster or, 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 or you'll hear all the lies about how, Oh, I don't know. I don't want to put them in the same hole. I need to spread the, the, the wound channels. And that's why I shoot these patterns on the target. And, um, human beings have a fantastic ability to, uh, uh, you know, a fantastic skill at self-delusion. Um, and shooting, there's a lot of men involved in shooting. And unfortunately, um, as a, as a, 
as a species, we often let our, our egos get in the way of good decisions. Um, you know, most instructors will tell you, as a rule, it's easier to teach female students, um, not, not because they're innately better at shooting, but because they don't think they're innately better at shooting, they pay slightly more attention. Um, and I think that's, that's part of the challenge um, that, that we face. So, yeah, I think, sorry, T, I think I yeah, agree yes. with you completely with what you're saying there. I think the other thing to consider is that shooting a pistol eh, does not come naturally to anybody. Um, you know, when I first started shooting and I went to the range to shoot some rounds, I didn't know what I was doing. And to be quite honest with you, I didn't know how to mechanically line up the sights. I sort of just went off of what sort of felt normal. But when I started getting involved in the competition side, the guy started teaching me that you need to start working off the top of your front sight. This is how you align the sights mechanically. And that's how you're going to learn. And I think for a lot of people, because it doesn't come naturally and it's difficult, they tend to drop it in the lurch and, and leave it alone. Yep. Yeah, I think that's, I think one of the most important things in what you just said, and, and all of it was important, but one of the most important things for a lot of the people who've seen you shoot is you didn't know what you were doing. You weren't born with an innate ability to shoot. It's not like, as we hear on the range all the time, well, of course, Gaz can do that. He's a machine or natural skill or whatever other bullshit excuse guys use to make themselves feel better about sucking. Um, you started out sucking and then you did a whole lot of work and now you don't really suck. It's the effort that you apply. Hey. You know, and, and when, we, when we get into the, the realm of getting a decent instructor and we're getting some relevant training that's assisting us, that's, that's not really going to give you the bump in performance that you need. That instructor is going to point out what you need to work on. And then after that, it's your job and responsibility to go and work on those things to improve. Do the work. And then that's it. And yep. then try and get, get back to regular courses so that you can continue to grow that skill set. Yep. Yeah, I'd, I'd actually, you know, and that was something that I was saying to Annika the other day is that I'd, I'd very much, I, I think, uh, I need to, not very much like to, um, actually attend another fundamentals course just to see if there has been a development in my, you know, in my fundamentals because it's all good and well on my private range and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm comfortable and, again, it's a comfort zone thing. But what does it help psychologically if um, you're only performing within a certain comfort setting? There's no one uh, looking over your shoulder. There's... There isn't brass hitting you from the shooter next to you at the course, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, it sounds it sounds remotely like um, dramatic, but it, it isn't. It's a thing of um, I think that you need to be able to see growth in your skills. And I think the only way to do that is to have somebody remark that is objective about it. Uh, and that's another thing, you know, we, we can't within a community always pat each other on the shoulders and say you're doing great because um, – you know, obviously, especially if it's a carry gun or if it's a defensive skill, um, I don't want somebody telling me that, you know, uh, rock on, you're doing great. And, you know, I couldn't hit a cow in the gut with a banjo, you know. So I think. <laughs> I don't know when Sorry for the children, is that expression. <laughs> I'll rephrase that. I wouldn't no, want no, no, anybody. No. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that was actually quite be, offensive. 
I thought, no, I, I thought it was fucking brilliant. Um, it's descriptive, and descriptive is important, as we discussed. I'm sorry. It's still better than the... Yeah, I'm going to be honest. That, that was uncomfortable. <laughs> Possibly like, through the I lack of lube. You guys are like, guys, just stop, Max. Don't. <laughs> you know, it's going to be awesome, Max. When you listen to that on the show... And you go, that's to. me saying that. That's I don't want to. Be really awesome. <laughs> I really pray that you edit that out. <laughs> I mean, I can if you ask nicely. Please, don't put that on live. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Oh. <laughs> the banjo <laughs> or the loop? <laughs> no, that one's fine because that's real. But, you know, it's, uh, it's a thing of like the... I think that that could be horribly misconstrued if it was an out-of-context quote of the day. <laughs> and it would be. It would I be. think that I think that is the out of context point of the day. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> show title. <laughs> Moving along, Thank you guys. Yeah. Your 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 idea of of attending um, another fundamentals class. I, well, I guess last year last year wasn't an exception because I did do a fundamentals class last year. I pretty much attend one a year and sometimes yeah. more. Um, and the funny thing is I'm a competent shooter and I shoot with the guys who I attend the classes with all the time. So I shoot with Adrian all the time. I shoot with T all the time and I get continuous feedback from them on what I'm doing. And I have never gone to a class where I didn't learn something because there's always something yeah. you've overlooked in your, in your past sessions or there's a bad habit you've recently developed that they now see and they can help you with or, um, T especially well with me at least, I, I don't know about generally with students, but with me, he'll, he'll push. So he, he won't accept sort of that's, that's the accuracy standard for the class. So that's okay. He'll be like, the fuck is that you're capable of far greater shooting than that. The fuck are you doing? Um, yeah, but you were privileged. Did we just lose Max? Max to right. have that, you know, and I, I think that that's important. I'm still here. Uh, go again. You, you said you were privileged because we yep. lost you for a moment. No, I say we're, we're privileged to have a community that, again, uh, it's not a pat on the back. It's a, you can do better at this. And that that's, I don't think there's any sports team that ever achieved anything or any individual uh, in an individual sport that achieved anything by somebody telling them, you're good enough. You're doing great. You know, thumbs up. Uh, there's always a, a driving force, whether it's yourself or whether it's a coach, um, it helps to have an objective, you know, second person that can tell you, listen, uh, you may be convincing yourself that that's good enough, but it's not. And you are capable of better and uh, you're always capable of better. You know, and I, I think that that's such a fundamentally important um, type of uh, friend friend group or, or shooting crowd to uh, involve yourself in. Um, because if you, you know, if, if you're in a group that isn't really fixated on uh, getting any better, um, it'll be like the boom spawn in any, you know, in any school, you know, it'll, it'll always just be the kids that they want to play rugby, but they also don't really give a fuck about it. You know, it's kind of, it's fun for them, but you know, it's just for fun and sports shooting must stay fun. Uh, that that's my personality. A lot of people just shoot for fun and they enjoy shooting. So immensely therapeutic, you know, therapeutic exercise. But in my view, um, if I'm competing or if I am stepping up to a line, 
Um, it's important for me to, to grow individually, firstly, but also to be competitive within that arena to know where I stand uh, uh, from a proficiency perspective or from an accuracy perspective or a speed perspective, you know. And um, at this stage, you know, I've, I've worked on the accuracy thing now, which is a lot better. It's still nowhere where it should be because I, I, I'll be honest, I, I still do not invest enough time on the handgun range. And, uh, you know, I still, uh, when you popped in the other day, I think it was about a, it was December last year, um, you popped around that steel challenge uh, that I was shooting. Yeah, it was and, December, um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the second you got there, you told me to tighten my grip and then I was lasering the plate. Um, but before that, you know, I was going over the top, bottom right, top, bottom right. And, uh, you know, it's a psychological thing, but you need that kind of influence in anything. Um, even academically, you need influences which tell you you can do better than that. You know? And uh, I think, yeah, I think we're privileged to have a, a crowd that even the best shooters are willing to say to you, listen, that's cuck, don't do that. And whether you take that personally, um, you know, and what you take from it, and if you cannot handle constructive criticism, um, I always, my dad always says, actually, look at the number behind the arsehole on the wall. Um, because if you're getting, if so importantly, if a guy like, um, you know, Albert or Gaz or you, on a range where I'm a novice shooter and you guys are conditioned IPSC shooters says to me, right, this is what you need to do. Um, focus on this. Um, and that's all you need to focus on for today because it's already a lot to focus on. You cannot change it on the range. You know, that's something that you've got to change in practice, but just try and focus on it for the day. You know, that's all you can take away. Now, if you take that personally or you're like dismissive of that kind of input, um, I think that's at your own peril. And it's the same as if I were to give you one of my rifles and tell you, right, engage the gong at a thousand yards. You know, that's still played at a thousand yards. Um, leave you to dial the scope, to read the conditions, um, you know, to, to line yourself up properly to make sure that you, you know, you've allowed enough elevation. It's, it's a skill set that I've developed over thousands of rounds lying on my fucking stomach. Um, and, you know, that, uh, that is the same with handgun proficiency. It's just harder to shoot handgun well than it is because I can take one of my precision rifles and I can give it to somebody that's remotely familiar with a, you know, uh, with a, a, a rifle and with, you know, using a rifle and I can line them up. I can dial the dope in and I can give them the calibrations and they, they'll probably hit the, you know, hit the target. Um, <clears throat> whereas with a handgun, you can't make somebody faster, you know, or you can't help them to go faster. You can't help them to shoot more accurately with a handgun. You can't dial sights for them. You can't, you know, you can't teach them to change a magazine swiftly. Uh, you, you know, they, you can teach them. They just have to practice. Yeah, exactly. You know, but it, it, it's a thing of you can't do it for them, you know, and I, I feel that there, there's that huge fundamental distinction between um, a sport which requires movement and uh, you know, as opposed to a sport where the focus is absolute precision and as little movement as possible, it's a completely different hemisphere that you engage in the second you've got to move. I remember the first that that first IPSC shoot, Cornet, the, the terror when the buzzer went off behind me, and now I had to engage these fucking cardboard things, and now I got to you know I got to move to another point with a loaded firearm, you know, because your your entire shooting career is this static, awkward, 
missing of a target at an indoor range or, you know, at, at SWAT, uh, at, you know, at a sticker that you put on a piece of paper, you know, it's just not real. And uh, I think, yeah, there, there's just, there's, it's such a complex approach. And I think it's also an exposure thing. Um, any good shooter shoots a lot. He practices a lot. He shoots a lot. And it's the same with the development of any skill. And uh, if I look at any of the guys that have attained heights within, um, you know, the practical shooting sports, it's because they did the work. It's because they learned, they, they, they accepted that they need to learn, they absorb knowledge, and they learn to implement the knowledge which they gained. And uh, they continue. Every day is work. Um, the dry fire, the, you know, and, and that's something that I'm guilty of. You know, I'm not committed enough. And I'll never be a good sports shooter if I don't commit to that. And you must accept that. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. You, you can't pitch up and expect to, to be an effective participant if other people are putting in 200% and you're putting in 70%. Yep. No, it's an excellent point. Um, Max, before we stray too far, because uh, we only have so much time in the evening, uh, and, and people, we're not primary and secondary people who won't listen to four and a half hours of our show. Uh, <laughs> no, they won't. <laughs> let's, uh, let, let's just sort of circle back and discuss uh, Motivus a little bit, uh, or Motivus. I don't know why. When I, what, how do you pronounce it, Max? Actually, not sure. It was, well, I, it was a cool I, I got it as, as Motivus, but I got Motivus from him. That's what he called it when I helped him set up the site. So, <laughs> Motivus it is then. I'm not okay. committed to either way. So, like, um, you guys pick. So, but, so, but so, they're both so, a ring. <laughs> T-Bag. The T-Freeze. T. I think we may have lost Tarek. We may have. I think. So, Max, um, I, I saw something that's a little bit, and I won't quote actual percentages because, one, I can't recall them, and, two, I don't want to sort of fear monger. Um, <laughs> But I saw something interesting in uh, in the news the other day about the unemployment rate and where it's heading towards uh, with the whole lockdown thing and recovery from 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 the thing. Um, and we know that with higher unemployment rates generally comes opportunistic crime, and with opportunistic crime, often uh, there is an increase in violent crime um, in in certain places. Which brings me to my point. Um, I imagine that we're going to see an increase in the the, the number of uh, civilian firearms owners for defensive purposes in in the coming year. That's fantastic, and uh, and with that, um, can we talk about your business? Uh, so you say the name, yeah. so we get the pronunciation right. Motivus, <laughs> and and how you can help people in in uh, reaching their goal of successfully licensing firearms. Um, and, and avoiding some of the, the pitfalls. And, uh, and obviously, after that, how they contact you, etc. Sure. For me, it's a, it started out with a, just a passion for firearms, acquiring my own firearms, and um, hearing about the refusal reasons that, you know, that other people were experiencing. And uh, that was, sure, I think, where, where it first started becoming a contentious issue was around 2014, um, when the refusal started to become uh, spacious and, you know, without grounds. Um, and I started noting a pattern in, in the types of refusals that were coming through. Um, and 
that motivated me to preemptively start address, addressing the refusal issues. Um, and I think, I think one of the biggest frustrations is the, the process in, in our country, in South Africa, um, would be actually buying a, let's say, a, a, a minimum of 10,000 rand asset on a new handgun for those defensive purposes. Uh, actually, first getting your competency, um, you know, doing the training, uh, going through the entire process of applying the interviews, uh, the commitment to this, you know, to this uh, idealism of having the handgun on your hip uh, and being able to protect yourself and defend yourself in a country where uh, I think we're one of the most dangerous. I don't think, um, I, you know, I, I humbly submit that we're one of the most dangerous countries in the world um, with one of the highest uh, reflective, uh, you know, frequencies of uh, violent crime, violent contact crime. And, uh, you know, that for me was as a point of, uh, I don't like to, I suppose the word would be civil liberty, but to be able to effectively uh, protect the the rights enshrined in our constitution, inter alia, you know, our, our right to life, our right to safety and security and a uh, our, our, you know, our right to bodily integrity. And, and those three for me are intertwined. And uh, each one of those rights is precious. And uh, it started out with a, a fixation on overcoming the, the hurdles that were put up um, or that seemed to continue to, to morph and change um, in depriving society or the citizenry of South Africa um, from acquiring their lawful defensive mechanisms, um, you know, their, their defensive handguns. And it, it initially started out as a, you know, as a defensive firearm motivation practice where I, I, I consumed myself with bettering the standards and enhancing uh, subjective, actually drawing attention to subjective circumstances of the applicant, which are real and which aren't generic. And I think that for me is the biggest, the biggest challenge is I think generics for a very large period of time um, were, I think CFR was flooded with generic stuff and um, that disenchanted them from the subjectivity of each application. Each application is a person that wants to protect their right to life, their right to safety and security. Um, they've been declared competent to possess a firearm. The interviewees, their family members, um, have have endorsed their their movement to apply for that firearm. Um, there's there's no it it isn't a a threat to society. In as much as a gun is a huge responsibility and it's a huge consideration of it's a life changing experience for each applicant. But the the effort that's put in um, should be rewarded with a a license which is due process for a person that discharges that onus of proof to say this, the police in this country cannot protect me. Private security in this country cannot afford me the speedy response that I need. Um, the, the alternatives to me are breached on a daily basis in our news. People are shot in frequent security complexes, um, rape and murder and, and attempted murder and assault and just, you know, robbery and robbery always bears the risk Robbery is, you know, the, the use of uh, a force or the threat of force to acquire those, you know, the, the possessions of other people. And the second that 
a, a firearm or a knife is present and you are told to hand over a certain item of interest to that, you know, that criminal element, um, that constitutes a life threat. And it takes seconds for that life threat to culminate or to, to morph into a deadly set of circumstances uh, for you if you are unable to repel that threat. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a, it's an absolute serious consideration for me because I could not imagine life without my defensive firearm. And it's not that it's, you know, I feel that it's a, a, a form of immunity from violent crime. Um, I know that there's a risk associated with everything that we do uh, in, a, in a country with the, the violent contact crime frequency that we have here. Um, going to the going to the garage to to buy a pack of smokes or you know to fill up your car is a risk today and uh, you know you can't comfortably tell me that you walk down the street at night um, you know we we drive everywhere we've uh, South Africans I don't think realize the degree of trauma that we experience every day with our news headlines and with our local news and um, with what we're exposed to on a daily basis, I think we become highly desensitized to it. Another murder, another rape, you know, another another robbery, another CIT heist. You know, um, it's highly irregular. We're not we're not supposed to be exposed to that degree of alting. For me, principally, it started out with, you know, what I'd like to help people to attain their defensive measures. Their, you know, to to enable them to give efficacy to the constitutional rights, which our state is struggling to do due to the, the socioeconomic and economic restraints, you know, that they, that they, they bound by. I mean, I've, I've got a couple of people that are hardworking SAPS members, but in all honesty, they, they complain about vehicles not working. Um, a shortage of ammunition, you know, the enforcement measures are limited and constrained. And those resources, once those become constrained, the efficiency drops, the reaction time drops, private security, there's also a delay. Um, so, yeah, that started out with the defensive thing. Let's get people their defensive guns. Then I started taking quite an interest in, you know, sport shooting and various, you know, various, yeah, I'd, I'd say, Practical sport shooting, precision sport shooting, practical, when I refer to practical, I'm referring to your IPSC, your IDPA, um, your, you know, your three-gun shooting, um, and as an enjoyable, and, and then there was October 2018, and, and I think that's where the sport shooting thing really gripped me, because there was a massive spate of refusals um, with the uh, self-loading carbines in South Africa and self-loading shotguns. And uh, the the generic refusals, um, I decided to start countering with subjective motivations within sports shooting and saying, look, this is legitimately why I need it. I do think it's cool and I really do want to enjoy the gun um, on a casual basis as well. But I I have a legitimate need for it and I have a legitimate uh, passion to go and participate in, you know, let's say uh, uh, IPC, the semi-auto division or uh, three gun shooting or, you know, and, and in order to do that, I need self-loading carbines to enhance my, you know, to enhance my, uh, uh, speed and accuracy or, you know, what, whatever the, the specific sports, you know, sports shooting, uh, designation is. And, um, yeah, then as I started 
delve into too many different shooting sports. Um, I, I just, I love all shooting sports. I don't know how to put it. Uh, it's, it's, it's become a, a distinct passion to shoot precision handgun, to shoot precision rifle. Uh, clay target shooting is extremely enjoyable. I'd like to learn how to run shotgun practically and faster. Um, I'd like to be able to drive a pump action and a semi-auto fast, um, you know, because they, it's an extremely enjoyable sport. And I, I feel that's a skill that I'd like to develop and, and to be able to, you know, participate competitively in. Um, the self-loading carbines are fascinating. There's so many different sports within the self-loading carbine sphere. Um, that, that for me is just, I, I enjoy every single challenging sport shooting motivation that I get, second AR-15s. Uh, second LMs or one LM and a second, you know, a second self-loading carbine in the form of an AR. Then we get into the the mechanical differentiation between the guns. Why do I need this for that? And why do I need that for this? You know, and uh, yeah, it, it's just exciting. I find it highly fascinating. Each, each firearm has its own characteristics. It's different from the other. And, you know, for me, uh, I think what it comes down to is, I approach motivating sport shooting firearms as tools. Um, for for one application, I would use a hammer, and for another application, a screwdriver. And uh, I approach it from a technical perspective as well as a common sense perspective. As to you know, in order to do this, I need that. But these are these are the benefits that are provided by the platform that I've purchased. And um, yeah, I, I think that that's basically what it comes down to is. With the massive spate of refusals in 2018 on the self-loading platforms, um, I was able to get a very good grasp by doing so many appeals. I think we did about 180 uh, from October 2018 to, I'd say, March 2019. And I got a very good feel by being exposed to that frequency of appeal as to what their, you know, what their gripe was with the applications. And I could adjust the Motivus model around those refusal reasons to preemptively counteract the refusals um, and to, to be able to, at, if necessary, if the, the refusal was specious on that generic basis, to be able to um, counter that in the appeal by saying, listen, this was already addressed in the motivation. Um, you didn't read it, you, you, you know, or the registrar rather didn't read it, didn't apply the registrar's mind, um, and the registrar's reason was in most instances, instances, instances overturned. And, um, yeah, then with the hunting thing, obviously that for me is just fascinating. The different calibers, uh, the different chamberings of rifle, other different shotguns for different applications. But, yeah, the ballistics behind hunting rifles and what rifles are suitable for different types of game, different types of hunting, um, it's endless. Like, they, that's why, you know, Section 16 is my favorite category because it's so broad, whether it be the hunting category or the sport shooting category, um, give it to me to motivate because I'm going to have the ball finding out how to do it and finding its gap. Um, and most of the time what I find with the experienced sport shooters is they tell me, look, I need it for this category or I need it for, you know, for, for this reason, or I need a backup gun because my frequency of participation has gone through the roof. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's been a hell of a ride. And I think I've done over 2,000 motivations since October 2018. And um, what, what makes it intense, and I think frustrating for a lot of my clients, sorry guys, but uh, is the waiting period because, 
each one is addressed subjectively. It's not a, it's not a, in as much as my formatting um, for certain periods is the same, there's no motivation that is uh, a generic, uh, you know, copy paste type approach. And I think if you'd go and read the reviews on the page, um, that would be self-evident from the reviews uh, and the success that we've attained so far. Um, and I think that that's only related to passion. And I think that's with anything in life um, to achieve a certain efficiency or a certain effective outcome. Um, there needs to be a high degree of passion and a driving force of every morning waking up and deciding right today, you know, I've given it good thought and this is how I'm going to approach it because it's not straightforward. And I, 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 I still love motivating first self-loading guns. I still love motivating a first offensive handgun. Still love motivating the first hunting rifle. But where my real passion comes in is with your second self-loading uh, carbines or your second uh, handgun or your third handgun or your fourth handgun and just calibers and, you know, Double ups on certain guns, you know, second guns of exactly the same platform, exactly the same shape of time. Hey? So, I, yeah, I, I just really adore what I do. Um, and I think that the community has been extremely supportive. Um, and I, I really do appreciate it for those listeners that do make use of the service. Um, and for those that intend on using the service, you know, I do I do appreciate the support and I've, I've received an overwhelming amount of support from the community because these are the people that I shoot with every weekend on the range. And uh, these are the people that I choose to spend my time with and serve as a community. And I think, um, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just grateful that I could start giving back to uh, uh, an aspect of my life, which has highly enriched its quality. And that's being able to go to the range on a weekend. And, you know, no matter what, no matter what platform I'm going to be using that day, just having a hell of a good time, but doing the work and growing with the participants with me. And uh, uh, it's, it started out with serving my closest friends in the community and them later telling me that there's, you know, that my professional time is starting to spill over into, into this kind of work and um, that I should start, you know, monetizing it to a certain degree and, um, you know, that, that there's a certain value to quality and to, to uh, hyper-exposure and the expertise that flows from hyper-exposure. So, yeah, I, you know, I appreciate you listening to that entire rant about the service, but I, I really do, um, I love what I do. And um, I, I think it's apparent from every piece of work that leaves my desk. Um, and, yeah, I, I just, I, I hope that it, I hope that it sustains its effect, you know, effectiveness within you know, within our culture and within our community. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. So Max has done a number of motivations for me and uh, the attention to detail and the level of detail that he puts into them is uh, astonishing. Uh, you, you can see that there's a passion behind it. Uh, there's someone who does research, someone who has experiences, as you said, with uh, refusals and uh, sort of going through the appeal process uh, someone who has done a significant number of motivations for himself and for his friends uh, and a, a very large volume of motivations, obviously now in his, his professional capacity. Um, it really shows. Um, the service is well worth it to me. Um, 
I would highly recommend that you you guys get in contact with Max and we'll discuss uh, the uh, the contact details and stuff shortly. And I will obviously include all of that stuff in the show notes. Um, I believe that Tarek has had some some motivations done by you recently as well. And uh, I think he, he shared my high praise of you know, the quality and the level of detail that goes into into your motivations. Yeah, I, I, it, you know, it's, it's, it's only been a, you know, for me, it's always a thing of it's, it's high pressure when you're doing it for people that you share the range with. Because uh, if, if you fuck it up, it's, <laughs> it's always a thing of, but, you know, that's why I think it, it comes down to um, also being a firearm owner and also waiting in that queue and waiting for my card and you know, understanding the, the value that we attach to the firearms and what they mean to us on the sporting field and what, what they enable us to do. And, uh, you know, that I think that's the biggest anticipation is what, what we, what we inject in, in the capital sense and what we inject in, in the emotional sense as firearm owners and, you know, serious sports shooters. It's, it's a huge investment. A lot of the time, if you look at some of the shotguns that you guys participate with, um, you know, it's, it's a hell of an investment. And that investment is like, it's like a racing car. If you, if you put it in, um, you know, you, you'll be getting it out on the sports field and you will have that edge, you know? And, um, you know, it's, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know what it is, but it, it just fascinates me. I've, I think I've done like, I don't even know how many self-loading carbine motivations, but I still get excited every time Oak says to me, he wants to motivate a self-loading carbine because they're just awesome. You know? And same with the Berettas and the, you know, <laughs> I, I, and like I, I did a hunt group destroyer motivation the other day and it was just fascinating to like, look at this thing. And I'm like, what? you know, and I just, you know, like, it's cool. Why, you know, why not? And then you can, you can, you know, while you're writing the motivation, you're actually getting so in touch with a gun that you want one by the, you know, by the end of writing it. And uh, you're like, it just makes sense to buy one of these, you know? So it, it hasn't worked out very well for me financially because, you know, whatever comes in just goes, oh, gun. But um, I've, I've, I've exercised quite a bit of restraint. I was about to say, that's why I can't do motivations. It's not just because I can't write, um, but it would also be because uh, I don't think my uh, my pocket could sustain the uh, the the volume of firearms I would amass. Um, I mean, I'm already doing that without doing any motivation. So, <laughs> like, I've 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 made myself so excited about like wheel guns. Like, I hate revolvers, but I've bought one now because it's awesome. And you know, it's like. Ugh, there's a there's a ton of guns that I would never have thought of buying, but now when you know when you write a bit about them, like today I did one for an Arinko 45, uh, one of these amnesty motivations. But I was like, it's pretty cool the history behind it, and you know how their specs are actually pretty good. You know they they're good handguns, and uh, I I quite enjoyed you know going through the history and reading the reviews, and you know because that's obviously I'm also Google privy, so. Uh, a, a lot of the information is, you know, uh, highly refined and, and double-checked stats and, you know, uh, material complexities and what have you, and barrel twist ratios. And, you know, it, it takes a bit of research and it takes refining research. But, yeah, over time, you, you start to develop a passion for everything that's mechanical. And until the little 38 special Rossi revolvers and the 885s and stuff like that, like, they have their place. Um, not my safe, but they have their place. And I, I, that's I the, like them. That's the important. I, I like organs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is a place for it. Just not with me. 
I'd shoot it if it's someone else's, you know, and they say, would you like to shoot it? I'd love to, you know, it's just that I don't want to own it. <laughs> it's like a 50cc motorbike. Everyone wants to ride it, but no one wants to <laughs> Tell their friends, yeah, you don't tell your friends, guys, look at my Rosti. <laughs> well, you might, but yeah, not up in here. Yeah, not 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 in this friends group. You won't. Yeah, not in this house. <laughs> Maybe somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> now that we've um, like offended sufficient number of people, Gaz, you were trying to ask. I was actually just going to ask Max, what's the best way for people to get a hold of him to to get their process and the ball rolling for them? Yeah, guys. So I've had an uncomfortable amount of phone calls going to the law firm that I work for during the day, and. uh you know, like we're a civil litigation practice while my employer is. And I'm like, guys, please don't phone the office. Um, so I prefer engagement by email because I like a record of things in writing. I don't know why. And um, Lawyer. Yep. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I like to, I like to engage with a written, a written background so that we're just clear on everything and that I can clarify everything in writing and I can revert back to it. So my engagement is per email at max at plm. So that's max, M-A-X, at plm, uh, papalima, mike, law, dot co, dot za. And um, so max at plm, law, co, dot za. And um, yeah, I just send me a mail, say, how's it? Uh, I'd like to motivate this gun. Um, I've got these guns, you know, you can, you can tell me a bit about your profile of firearm ownership. Um, and I'd like to motivate it for this purpose. And, uh, you know, I, I do the rest of the thinking work. If, you know, if, if you're not entirely familiar with the motivation structure or, uh, the model that I use, um, I think, you know, a lot of the time sports shooters know what they want the gun for. Um, and they have this vision in their minds of what they're going to use it for. Uh, but the rules and the participation uh, uh, technicalities is what often, you know, uh, confuses them between different divisions. Uh, I think that's also a hyper hyper exposure thing. The more the more you research um, what division that's suitable for or what the rules of those divisions are, uh, the more in touch you become with, um, you know, what platforms are suitable for, you know, what sports. And, um, I, yeah, that's that's pretty much, yeah, just engage me by mail. Um, if if you do know somebody that's made use of the service, you're welcome to send me a WhatsApp. Um, they'll give you my number. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a thing of, it's, it's, it's actually quite chilled. Um, it's a professional service, but I, I really don't, it's not a law firm. It's not a legal practice. Um, you know, it's it's a service, and I, I render a professional service. But um, it's 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 a very relaxed uh, approach model, if I can put it that way. And what, another nice thing, uh, the Motivus model has become completely paperless. Um, I don't want copies of your documents. Um, I don't want pictures of your gun. I don't want you know, like it. It's just a. I have I have a list of questions that I send per category, um, and I'm able to model and construct. Um, the motivation sub to to the you know to the subjective degree um, that kills any form of generic uh, you know copy paste type crap uh, you know I, I really take it seriously and um, I think that's that's what it comes down to is being able to to take subjective circumstances and transpose that into an effective you know con convey to the registrar exactly what I need this for. 
and um, why the other firearms that I own aren't suitable and, um, you know, or why I need another one of these. And, uh, you know, that's, that's always the fun part, but yeah, it's, it's up to me if, if it's a, if it's an uncomfortable thing of, look, I, I want to shoot IPSC, but I don't know which division this gun is suitable for, because I'd like to use this gun to participate. You leave that to me. I'll tell you, and, uh, I'll explain that perfectly, you know, and, uh, I'll, I'll convey it effectively. And that's, that's my job, you know, and that's kind of what I want to do is I just want to take that, that stress and strain off of the applicant's shoulders of still having to, um, you know, give a, a complex model of what they want the gun for and within a certain readable page limit. And, and that's also for me, I don't, I don't do the Wikipedia uh, ballistics. I don't do the Wikipedia gun description uh, with a link still in it and the numbering. Um, you know, I, I, I've seen so many of those doing appeals. It just like, it shocks me and some of them get approved. So yeah, as I say, you know, it's, uh, it's all about enhancing your prospects of success uh, through preemptive addressing of refusal reasons, which I've been exposed to too much uh, due to my appeal, the appeal experience. And uh, yeah, that's that's it. Awesome. There is also a Facebook page and a Facebook group, uh, which I will link in the show notes for you guys to be able to, to find it. Um, Max posts with some frequency. I'm not sure how often you do it at the moment, but Max posts with some frequency, some, some pretty long, uh, sort of open letter format, uh, content for, uh, for the gun community, explaining some, some very specific aspects of firearms ownership, firearms usage, firearms licensing, legal aspects, um, well worth getting, uh, following the page and, uh, and joining the group. So you can, you can actually interact with them on these things. Um, now, Bear in mind that the group is not the place to go to ask Max to motivate for your for your 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 license. Uh, please engage with him through email, like he said. Uh, but it's a it's a nice place to sort of speak with like minded people about uh, firearm ownership, acquiring new firearms, and uh, and and obviously licensing and using them. Um, Thanks. Yeah, I've, I've tried to keep it as apolitical as possible as well. So, you know, I when I do when I do post a, an opinion or that kind of thing. Um, it's generally pretty independent. Um, and, I, you know, I try to avoid, I try to avoid siding with views that are convenient. Um, I think that that's become a very difficult, um, aspect within our firearm community. Um, so the latest model on the page has been, uh, just updating, uh, people on the license licensing process where we're at, uh, what I'm experiencing with clients delays, um, the, the practical effects of the COVID-19 lockdowns, stuff like that, um, but also legal legal developments uh, within the firearms sphere. But there's a hell of a lot of content on there from um, what does an executor need to do to literally um, defensive use and self-defense usage. Uh, I don't know if you remember that article. I should probably share that again. But, you know, that it's, it's all about... It's all about relatable content um, for South African firearm users. Um, and I think, you know, that that's pretty much what it comes down to. Yeah. That's pretty key um, for South African firearm users. Um, because contrary to what the internet tells us, stuff that applies in other countries does not necessarily apply here. Uh, does, does not necessarily work here. Um, so well-constructed articles and like I said, open letters, uh, taking the, the local conditions and local law and, and, and local processes into, into account, which is fantastic. Um, T's been able to rejoin us. Uh, so T-Bag, 
couple of minutes ago, I was uh, praising Max on the quality of his uh, motivations. And I mentioned that you, uh, you had one done recently. Um, what's your view been on that? That is fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Checks <laughs> out. <laughs> no, I say it was uh, the the motivation Max did for me was was not. Uh, it was completely the opposite of a generic copy and paste. Um, it was it was really obvious that he'd spent a lot of time focused on the particular motivation, sort of. Um, Combining the usage and 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 the gun itself, as opposed to uh, this is the usage. So we're going to put in generic gun sort of shape, chatting and generic um, usage sort of shape discussion. So uh, yeah, no, no, I uh, I do think he's too cheap, um, considering how much work he's put in there, um, and uh, I'll. I, I'm happy to recommend Max. I have recommended him. I'm happy to recommend him, and I I will use him again in the future, roughly from behind. Sorry, sorry, sorry. not quite. With as long as he's new. Kaz, is there anything else you want to you want to ask Max? T, is there anything else you want to ask Max? Uh, sorry, carry on, guess. No, no, I was just going to say I'm I'm done. Lots of info. It was awesome to chat to you, Max. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And yeah, I hope to see you guys a little bit more frequently on the range this year. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd yeah. be good. Yeah, you, you know whose fault that is, that you don't see us on the range. Yours, because we basically <laughs> live there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the CFR's fault. I just want my 17. Yes. Well, yes. Hopefully that's yes. close and, and we'll be Yeah, it out. was approved today. Oh, awesome. Oh, nice. Congrats. Mazel tov. Yeah, no, it's an, another three three months fucking wait for the card apparently, but yeah, we'll get there. Uh, let, let's be optimistic. I had to I had to approve last week Friday, so I'm trying to be optimistic. <laughs> it's awful. It doesn't get old. Like it feels the same crashing emptiness every time. Yeah. Mm. Well, as long as it's at least an approval. I mean, the the wait's painful, but the wait's even worse when you go. Uh, now I need to go through appeal. <laughs> Mm. No, I, I think I'll sell the gun at this stage. I, think, <laughs> I, don't, think I, I don't think I could do it. I don't know how my clients do. I, I couldn't. I'm too. I need it now. I mean, the worst is I've got most of my guns in the vaults at work, and it's still all a nightmare. Um, the thought of waiting a fucking year for a gun that's locked somewhere else is even worse. Yep. No, I couldn't. I, that's why I'm not in the gun industry. I couldn't do it. I. Like they'd, they'd be like, where's Max? I think he's on the range. Why the <laughs> fuck is he on the range? He's just trying something. You know? Is your name Tyrick? <laughs> <laughs> Checks out. Just checking. Checks out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but guys, uh, again, thanks very much for having me on the show. And uh, I appreciate the, the patience. Um, I, I realize that I... I get quite excited about the topic, so it's <laughs> it's, but it's it's been awesome. I I really did enjoy it, and uh, yeah, great show that you guys run here. And uh, again, thanks for everything that you guys contribute to the firearm and community. Um, it's also valued. I think it's undervalued. <laughs> I think I think uh, the the show is getting way too little credit. Um, 
And yeah, we I'll, I'll definitely be uh, sharing the links more regularly on on the Motivas page as well. Uh, so you you mean that this is a two star show, not a one star show? I'd I'd say between three and five. Between three and at five, at least Gaz, five. Gaz is gonna blitz yeah. you next time he sees you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I didn't give you a one. Terrible. <laughs> no, someone else did that already. I know. I saw. I I think I, I laughed a little. One than three. <laughs> three. Three is really one of those where it's like with Mr. D. How was your delivery? Like, fuck off yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like one star, at least you had feelings about the show. There were strong negative feelings, but you had feelings about the show. <laughs> three stars is like, yeah, like, wh- why did you bother giving it a rating? Yeah, I'm yeah, indifferent. <laughs> Now, from now on, I'll be rating Mr. D with three stars. Oh. <laughs> you can expect more spit on your food, I think. Yeah. Fine, it's better than fucking cold food. <laughs> they delivered it with extra DNA, but boy, did they deliver it hot. <laughs> fucking COVID petty. Oh, <laughs> Max, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. It was great having you on the show. I'm glad we finally been able to to get you on. Uh, it's uh, it's been an awesome chat. We really appreciate it. I had great fun. Thanks, Kune. Guys, have a great. Sorry, I missed again. it. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. T will need to listen yeah. to this one. Yeah, I might actually have to listen to this one, seeing as I couldn't listen to most of it. Uh, thanks, Ray. Three stars. Yeah. Rain, Please, rain. rain, go away. Mm. Is uh, it's always provided. My 5G. No, no. How much for 5G? <laughs> <coughs> and on that note, later losers. <laughs>